Now, this is the kind of midweek service I like to have. Amen. Well, where you showed up and the Lord showed up. Amen. And we're having some church in here. Praise the Lord. Amen. God is good. And uh, I just want to want to bring a good report. I was in Whitehall last night for Brother Al's Bible study there. Uh, and um, I had told Brother Al that uh, they had been wanting me to come back and they wanted me to bring my saw. So I told him I'd bring my musical saw and some other stuff and communion. And when I got there, we had a whole bunch of men sitting out there. We had the most men in the Bible study that I've been in up there yet so far. And uh, that counts the ones I could see. It doesn't count the ones that I couldn't see that were hiding behind the blinds and the windows because we had the Bible study outdoors on the sidewalk, you know, in front of the hotel. And there were people in the hotel listening. Some of them kept coming out and talking to us. And then, and, and uh, at the end of the Bible study, a young man came over to, to us and he said, could I join the Bible study next week? Praise the Lord. So we said, not only can you join the Bible study next week, but you can come to church this Sunday. He got so excited. Amen. And I believe God's going to do a work in his life and bring him to church. He's hungry for the Lord. And uh, Brother Al actually had me to speak this Wednesday. He wanted me to go over Acts 38 again, and I did. I spent the whole hour talking to the men. And I can tell you that I could see real conviction in a couple of those men, real conviction. I mean, if it was if it was in the building, probably could have prayed them through to the Holy Ghost. There was some real conviction there. So I want us to continue to pray for the Whitehall Bible study. I was driving in Glens Falls today, and as I was driving in Glens Falls, a bird just came over me again for that city, and I began to look at spaces, lots of buildings, lots of, lots of places that are empty. And uh, I want us to pray that God will give us Whatever, if it's his will, that he'll open the door for us in Glens Falls because uh, the, the work that was going to be started there uh, uh, has fallen through. At least the people are working, but they're not working with, uh, with us anymore. They're working independent of us. So uh, the city is now open again, and I believe it's in the will of God that it should be open to us. Right. It should be open to us. And so we're going to claim that and believe that God will give us a space that will give us people. My wife has had a call uh, recently from Glens Falls, a lady in Glens Falls. She wanted a Bible study answering the penny saver ad. My wife tried to connect with her and get that Bible study going, and, and we haven't been able to connect with her yet. But we need to pray that the Lord would open the, open the, open the door and provide the way. Because that's all it takes. It's just a couple of people to say, my door is open. Come and teach me. And that's how work can be started in, the, in, in, in an area. I also want us to pray tonight for Brother Azubu because I haven't heard from him in about a week and a half. So why don't we just pray for these two things. The Bible study, the work in Glens Falls. Let's add the work in Waterville to that. The upcoming neighborhood party. And Brother Azubu, right now in the name of Jesus, we're speaking words of faith. We're speaking words of faith. We're speaking it out, God. We're asking God that you would... Bring us people in Water Relief and in the Capital District area. Bring us people in Troy, Albany, the Water Relief area in the name of Jesus to build that work upon God. You know you have people there. You know who they are. Bring them to us, Lord. If we can't find them, you help them to find us. God, if it be your will, open a door for us now in the Glens Falls area, in the greater Glens Falls area, Lord God, all the way up to Fort Ann and Fort Edward and Hudson and, and Whitehall, God that you went all the way to Granville, Lord God, that you would begin, Lord God, together in a harvest and help us to be a part of that and do that in Jesus' name. We're praying, God, for our brother Ajibu and the work in Sierra Leone, Lord God, that you would help him, that you would bless him, God, I pray. Help him to raise this work up, give him the finances and the wisdom and the strength and the support he needs in Jesus' name. I'm believing it and praying it right now in the name of the Lord. Let the church say in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to direct your attention to the Old Testament. This evening we're going to go to uh, the weeping prophet. Who knows who the weeping prophet is? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Chapter 50. I want to begin reading at verse number 4. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. Going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with our faces thitherward, 
saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They've turned them away on the mountain. They have gone from the mountain to hill, and they have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We offend not because they have sinned against the Lord. The habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the goats, as the he goats before the flocks. Father, we praise you right now and we thank you for the word of God. We pray, God, that you would speak to us from it. Lord God, that you would speak to this church and that we would speak together the word of faith, that the word of faith, that the prophetic word of God would come from my lips today. God, that it would speak and you would hear it, Lord God, and that you would do the work that you want to do. In Jesus' name, we're bound together and believe it right now. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, shake a few hands as you're being seated this evening. God bless you. And the, uh, the New Living Translation, the modern version of this, says, Then the people of Israel and Judah will join together, says the Lord, weeping and seeking the Lord their God. And they will ask the way to Jerusalem. And they will start back home again. And they will bind themselves to the Lord with an eternal covenant that will never be again broken. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and turned them loose in the mountains. They have lost their way and cannot remember how to get back to the fold. All who found them devoured them. Their enemies said, we are allowed to attack them freely, for they have sinned against the Lord, their place of rest, and the hope of their ancestors. But now flee from Babylon. Leave the land of the Babylonians. Leave my people home again. My subject tonight for your consideration is, does anyone know the way home? Does anyone know? know the way home. Now between an airplane and every other form of locomotion and transportation, there is one great difference. The horse and the wagon, the automobile, the bicycle, the locomotive, the speedboat, the great battleship, all of them can come to a complete stop without any danger. They can even reverse themselves and go backwards. But there is no reverse about the direction of an airplane while it is in flight. It cannot go backwards and it cannot come to a standstill. If it loses its momentum and its forward drive, we know what happens. It will crash to the ground. The only safety for an airplane is in, in flight is to keep moving forward. They have to keep moving forward. Forward. They have to move in a direction called forward. And the same goes for us and our walk with God. We have nowhere safe to go but onward and upward. We have nowhere safe to go but onward and upward. There is no side trip. There is no reverse. There is no stop and rest a while. There is no standstill. None of those stances are safe for a Christian. The only thing you can do to save your soul is to stay in motion in the direction that God pointed out to you in the beginning. Oh, let's praise God somehow. Now there are those among us who will call it quits. And over the years, there are a lot more of them, it seems, than there are those of us who have kept in motion. Paul has something to say about people who fall away from the Lord. In Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, he said, Now the just shall live by faith. That famous scripture that Martin Luther drew strength from. They brought about and birthed the Great Reformation and, and allowed Protestantism to become a viable reality and that we would actually have a choice in our conscience and religion. The just shall live by faith. But following that great statement is this. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. 
So the just are living by faith. They're moving by faith. Their, their whole lives are based on faith. And uh, if, if there's a change in motion here, it is that motion that draws back. And it is not a good motion. It's not a healthy motion. And if one draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. That word perdition might be puzzling for some of you. So here's what it means from several versions. The Amplified Version says that it means um, eternal misery. And the New American Standard uses the word destruction. The uh, New International uh, says that they would be destroyed. They are destroyed. And the Contemporary English Version says that they will get destroyed. So basically, perdition, if you would, is file 13. Perdition is the garbage dump. Perdition is the trash can. Perdition is good for nothing but that which is refused and thrown away and rejected. If you draw back, uh, you are drawing back to being thrown out. You are being thrown out on the trash pile. Now that has biblical sense because in Bible times, uh, Gehenna was the garbage dump for Jerusalem. That's where they burned their trash, their garbage, Gehenna. And Gehenna came to have a double meaning in the Bible. It came to meant the place of hell, of fiery torment, the place where the fire never goes out. Because in Jerusalem times and days, that garbage dump was burning perpetuously. People are always throwing garbage on it. The fire that was lit there was continuously burning. It never went out day or night burning the garbage and the trash and the refuse that was being thrown out. And so to their thinking, their mind, hell was a place of perdition. It was a place of destruction. It was a place of fiery uh, uh, torment and of burning that would burn forever. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition. Listen to me, backslider, potential backslider. Those of you that want to throw in the towel and call it quits. If you go back, you may think that you're going back to a place of rest. You may think that you're going to get a break. You may think uh, that uh, things will cool off for you, but they're going to heat up for you. They're not going to cool off. It isn't going to get better if you go back. It's going to get worse. It's going to get so bad that it'll be horrible for all eternity. Behind you is nothing but perdition. We are not of them that draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That brings the statement back full circle. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And this also, this, this verse puts into correct context what Paul is actually meaning in Romans 10, 9 and 10, where when he speaks of the mouth confessing and the heart believing unto salvation, he is addressing the kind of saved faith that keeps a saved person moving forward and thus staying the course that ultimately saves us. We're not of them that draw back to perdition, but to them that believe to the saving of the soul. Our faith keeps us flying. It keeps us moving. Now, have you ever been on a plane? What keeps it up in the air? I've often asked myself that question. Have I considered that plane full of people, two or three hundred people, and all their luggage and suitcases in there, and how many tons all of that is? And that thing is going to rise, and it's going to fly through the air 35,000 feet above the ground for hours and hours and finally land, and what's keeping it up there? It's just something that seems to defy my brain, my physics, hallelujah. And the only thing that's keeping that plane up there is air and speed. Air and speed. you got air speed and you've got motion. That's the only thing that's keeping it up there. If that thing can fly fast enough in one direction, it will rise above all of our troubles and it will stay high and it will stay floating. Friends, that's what we have to do to go to heaven. Amen. That's what we have to do. When you came to Jesus and you gave him your heart and he filled you with the Holy Spirit, he gave you lift. 
He gave you airspeed. He gave you momentum. The Holy Ghost points us in the direction. The Word of God tells us where to go. The preaching of the Word is something that corrects our course. Amen. And the Holy Ghost and the Word and the preaching is autopilot. Amen. And it will just not slow down. Hallelujah. Now, you know, the devil wants to pile on. He wants to tempt us to slow down by piling on. Life and circumstances can pile on us. The things that other people do can weigh on us and pile on us. If we're not careful, we'll be looking out the window and we'll be looking at other airplanes out there. We'll be thinking, well, they're not doing what I'm doing. Yeah, but what we don't see is a few minutes down the, the airstream when that airplane is not there anymore. Amen. Well, it, it, it was in the air at one time, but where is it now? What, what happened? At one time, my sky was full of airplanes, people going places. At one time, amen, my sky was full. I, everywhere I looked, I could see them out the window. Now, I don't see so many of them flying anymore, and I wonder where they are. Did some of them get where they're supposed to go? Well, I believe they did. Some of them got on to heaven. We don't see them anymore, but there's a whole lot more of them that if we look behind us somewhere, they're crashed and burned on the ground. Because they got to looking around and thinking about all the stuff, amen, that should, you know, weigh them down, and they, they, they lost it. They lost it. We have got to keep moving. Hallelujah. Keep flying. Keep flying. Stay the course. Keep moving. Paul knew his share of false brethren. Uh, those whom he said left us because they were not of us. And he did not have very much patience for those whose resolve withered under adversity. Thus his separation with Barnabas over a young man named Mark, who had started out on an evangelistic trip, but then called home for mama and said, I got to come home. I can't do it. Paul had little tolerance for people who withered under adversity. Uh, this man could go the journey. If it meant going to a place where he was not wanted and rejected, he went there anyway. If it meant preaching to a synagogue of people that wanted to take him in the backyard and stone him to death, he still did it. If it meant winding up and spending a night in prison in stocks and bonds, he did it. If it meant he was back was going to get beaten, he did it. If it meant they would have to chase him out of the city and he'd have to escape by being let down in a basket over a wall, he did it. If it meant that they were going to stone him and leave him for dead, he did it. If it meant shipwreck, he did it. If it meant hunger and fasting, he did it. If it meant not having appropriate clothing, he did it. If it meant not having a place to sleep at night, he did it. Whatever it took to get the gospel where it needed to go is what Paul was willing to do. As long as he was alive, he was going to be somewhere where he could preach the gospel. Even if it meant they locked him in prison and chained him to a Roman soldier, he didn't stop. He converted the guards and they had to keep changing the guards because he kept converting them. So he knew something about false brethren. He knew something about people who withered under fire and adversity. He had little patience and little tolerance for them. And there was Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed. He knew something about those who drew back and those who fell back. But Paul never allowed the failures of others to rob him of his vision of where he was going. Because he knew of a certainty that he had seen Jesus and heard the voice and the light shone from heaven and he heard the voice. I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to go against my will. It's hard for you to fight me. He knew very well that voice and it constantly was before him. Hallelujah. I am persuaded, he said, that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, against whatever day, against whatever trial, against whatever adversity. He looked death in the face more than one time. He stared it down more than one time. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. And when he was looking down the gun barrel for the last time, what did he write? He wrote, now is my time of departure. Hallelujah. Is at hand. Hallelujah. 
Amen. But I'm going, Timothy, to a better place. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going. Hallelujah. You may stay here, but I'm going. I'm going where I've been called to go. Hallelujah. 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 Slippage is a danger. People are constantly in danger of slipping away. As Eugene Wilson says in 70, everyone needs a team. It is not enough for people to experience Jesus as Savior. He wants to be Lord of their lives. Lordship speaks of Christ ruling and reigning in people's hearts. Many people are open, even eager, for Christ to save them. People want to be saved from sin, failing marriages, financial disaster, poor health, and so on. But few want Christ to be Lord of their lives. The goal is not to get people to obey a list of rules. The goal is for people to conform to the values of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Lots of people want to be saved, but they don't want to submit to the control, to the authority, and to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it begins, and one of the great tests of it is our willingness to submit to one another. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, the Bible says. That is one of the first tests. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Amen. Husbands need to submit themselves uh, to those that are in authority over them. Men need to submit themselves to their uh, employers, to their bosses, to those that are in charge of their lives. Christians need to submit themselves to the authority of the government. Amen. We're in submission to the law of the land and the authority of the government. We show that submission. And all of us are in submission to the authorities that God has placed in our lives, and that includes spiritual authorities. The Lord was so careful of his church and so conscience, uh, conscientious concerning his people that he didn't want them to be lost, that he put not one, not two, not three, not four, but five systems of control and authority in the church's life to make sure that the church stayed on track. And they are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers that God has put in for the work of the ministry and for the perfecting of the saints and to bring us together collectively to that body, amen, of Christ that gets together and gets along because we love one another. So the scripture says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves to them uh, because they give, must give an account for your soul that it might be for your good and welfare and not uh, for the other. Amen. So, amen, we have to have some authority in our life in order to show and to prove that we are in the proper area of lordship. And that is so very, very important, amen, in our leading to God. So I don't want to be one of those people that leave the church because my reason for being in the church did not mature and grow, did not manifest itself into that thing that could cause me to stick and to stay. It's one thing to be attracted to the Lord because he promises to do wonderful things, but it's another thing to stay attracted to him because you fell in love with him. Amen. And he was wonderful to you through thick and through thin. Right. And he never betrayed you, and he was always good to you, even when you didn't understand That's right. his goodness was to be found. Oh, in 1972, after 308 years of being in existence, the first church of Newton, Mass., Called it quits. It gave and surrendered its assets to a museum. It sold its building to another church and it disbanded. It was begun in 1664. And this church in its heyday in 1952 had over 1,200 members. But by 1972, just 20 years later, they had lost their vision. They had no momentum. They had run out of steam. The average parishioner left was over 50 years of age. They did not see how they could keep moving. No matter what it was in times past, whose ever goal it was and vision it was to get that church started, 
And they probably started with less people than they ended with. And less finances than they ended with. And less material goods than they ended with. They started with less strength than they ended with. But the, the failure was not in what they had when they ended. It was in their strength, in their momentum, in their vision. They gave up the ghost. They quit. They surrendered. They threw in the towel. They said, I'm not going to do this anymore. What a terrible and tragic thing. Amen. But they can happen. And churches don't last forever. Even true churches, even godly churches, even God's churches do not last forever. Look at the seven churches of Asia Minor. Can anybody find one of them left? They were in the Bible. They were important. The Lord gave us words based, scriptures based on those churches and messages that were sent to those churches that were one time real Pentecostal, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy roller, baptized in Jesus' name, one God-believing churches. But they're not there now. Something happened. Listen, we are in constant danger of slippage. There's not a one of us that is not in danger of slippage and falling away. That's why we have got to settle it in our mind. We are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That's what Paul said. He said it through thick and thin. He said it through adversity and through blessing. He said it though he was abased and though he knew how to be abounded. He said it though he had little or though he had much. He said it. He said, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come can be able to separate me from the love of God. Hallelujah. Can you say that with your whole heart? Amen. And until we can say that, we have not gotten out of danger of slipping. Now I'm convinced and I really believe that most of us, most of those who have fallen away do so more so out of confusion, misdirection, disappointment, discouragement, personal failure or some other such cause in their life. Most who have left us and God and the church in reality are just wanderers. They have wandered off. They are drifters. And it's usually an indication of a life pattern. They don't just drift away from us, usually. They just drift through life. And if you look closely at them, you will find that they drift away from other relationships and other obligations and other jobs and other contracts and other situations that would connect them or bind them or cause them to be under some form of obligation. They're just drifters, drifting through life. And and they're drifting because they haven't yet discovered any great true purpose, any cause great enough to bind them to it, to connect them to it. So they're still drifting. Yes, they were in the church. They got the Holy Ghost. They were born again. But somehow, to them, it didn't seem worth the effort. The cause of being a missionary to the whole world didn't connect with them. They didn't see what the mission of the kingdom was, that it was bigger than them and and feeding them and clothing them and ministering to them and comforting them and edifying them and building them up and making them feel good and making them feel important and making them feel like they were numero uno uh, and uh, making them feel like uh, they're the special. So they drifted away. There's yet hope. There's yet hope for these, but not hope for all. There's hope for some of them, but not hope for all. There's a story that's told about a fellow that, uh, his name is Robert Robinson, and he wrote a very famous hymn, Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In his Christian walk, in him knowing the Lord, uh, he had written this beautiful hymn, Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But somewhere along his journey, he lost his momentum. He lost his vision. He lost his faith. He lost the happy communion he had once had with the Savior. And in his declining years, he wandered off the narrow path of salvation and followed the highways of sin. And of course, he, like any backslider, 
was troubled in spirit. He became deeply troubled in his spirit. And so, <clears throat> hoping to find some relief, he decided upon a journey that he would travel, that he would go on a tour or a cruise. And in the course of his journey, uh, he became acquainted with a young lady. <clears throat> and in the, in the context of their discussion and discourses, uh, he turned to spiritual matters. And so, as they began to speak of spiritual things, she asked him what he thought of the hymn that she had just been reading. And to his astonishment, it was none other than Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing, the hymn that he himself had penned and written. He tried to evade her question and steer the conversation away, but she wouldn't let him off the hook, and she continued to press him for a response. Suddenly he began to weep, broke down, and with tears streaming down his cheeks, he said, I am the man who wrote that hymn so many years ago. I would give anything to experience the joy that I had when I knew what I knew then. And although she was greatly surprised by this turn of events, she reassured him that the streams of mercy that he mentioned in that song still flowed and could flow to him. Yeah. He was deeply touched and he turned his wandering heart back to the Lord and was restored to full fellowship with the Lord again. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Something he had written, something that had come out of his own life experience came back to reclaim him and to recall him back to the Lord. Hallelujah. So I believe with all of my heart that for the most of those that fall away, they are drifters, they are wanderers who somehow got confused in the direction of their life and its path and were enticed and tempted to follow a side trail along the journey of life and not having a signpost sufficiently able to guide them or a person of their life of distinction to steer them back upon that path you do somebody a great favor when you see them slipping away and you don't be silent, but you go to them and you interject yourself between them and the journey and the course of travel. And you say, don't go that route. And you persuade them back on the path. The Bible says that you will save them from hell. You will save them from many sorrows. You do them a favor and yourself a favor. Hallelujah. But most of them, I believe, amen, <clears throat> haven't truly left the Lord. And I don't think it's possible for someone under these circumstances, to fall away from God and escape the ghost of their spiritual past that will haunt them to their grave, that will hound them day and night, that will constantly be in their mind and their heart. You know you need to get back to church. You know you need to get back with God. You know what's right. You know what's right. And you need to do what's right. And they'll say, someday I'm going to do it. Someday I'm going to do it. But the more they'll let sin pile up in their life uh, and clutter up the rooms of their heart, the more they think that other people will judge them and not welcome them back. And, 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 and the more they feel a stranger and a foreigner to their own home and their own place of birth, they'll be like the person who threw in the towel and decided to quit the job and the marriage and the family and drift and hobo across the country. I once knew a hobo when I was a youngster. His name was Douglas Stringer. And every so often, five or six months or a couple of years, he'd drift back into his hometown where he was born and raised. And uh, he'd come by our house. My parents had worked with him and brought him to church. You remember Douglas Stringer, Dad? And he'd drop in and we'd have him to the house and feed him. And he'd stay in town for a day or two, sometimes two or three weeks. He'd stay for a little while. But there was just something in Douglas, I don't know what it was, that made him just get restless and go hoboing again. And he'd hobo and live out on the streets. You doubtless have seen some of them. They've got a sign, hungry, we'll work for food, or hungry, need gas to travel, and you'll pass by them. A lot of them are just con artists, and, but there are some of them that really are hoboing and drifting. They're moving about, they're traveling, they're wandering, they haven't got a connection.
somehow in their life, something went astray. And that man who sets himself adrift, at first it's an adventure, it's a journey, and he can always come back. And his mama, his, his wife, his kids, his family are always trying to get a hold of him. Come back, come back, come back, come back. But he keeps going. His ego, his hard heart, his issues, his hurt, his attitude, whatever, keep him moving, keep him moving forward. And finally, it gets to a point where he's down and out. I mean, he, he's literally hungry, starving on the streets. He's cold. He's hungry. He's wet. He's miserable. He'd like to go home. But if he stays out on the street long enough, if he stays out long, long enough, eventually, it feels to him like the doors of home have closed. They're closing. They're closing. They're closed. And some of them actually do get closed. Uh, he's gone so far, the wife will divorce him, or uh, the mother will die, the father will die. And the place that had once been home is no longer home. He's truly now forever adrift. Hallelujah. And the more a person spiritually is wandering out, hobo and wandering, drifting, the longer they go out there sometimes, the longer it takes for them to find their way back home. We look at the young man in the Bible who left his family, who left his father, his brother, and went and took his money and spent it in the world. He had a lot of fun for a little while. Amen. But when his money was all spent now, the real life, the hardship of life came on him. Amen. Still, his heart was hardened. Still, his pride wouldn't let him break down. He found himself working for a farmer, feeding pigs and eating the very food the pigs would eat, trying to get enough. Finally, one day, he had had enough, and he looked at himself, and the slump and the life he was living in, and he said, look at my father's house. The servants have more to eat than I do. They have better clothes to wear than I do. They've got, they've got a roof over their head. They're warm at night. They don't have to worry about the rain and the snow. Amen. I think I'll go back home and just see if I can get back in. I'll tell my father, look, father, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Don't even think of me as a son anymore. Just let me work for you as one of your servants. And maybe my father will have mercy. You see, the devil will give him the mind of a backslider and tell that backslider, you've been away from God too long. You've been out of the church too long. They won't want you back. They won't welcome you. They'll judge you. They will not accept you. Uh, they won't want anything to do with you. And as long as you're listening to that, you will believe it, and you'll stay out there, and you'll feel miserable, and you'll know where salvation is. It safety is, but you won't be able to find it in you. They come back home. That's right. There's always hope for people like that. But there's very little hope for another group of people who also leave the church, who leave God, and leave the truth. There's another kind of backslider. I have little hope for that backslider. That is the backslider that I call the apostate. The apostate. Those, <clears throat> uh, these are those who have found a cause to devote their life to. And energy towards that cause. But it isn't God's cause. And usually they have an issue with a point of doctrine. Something that they're refusing to submit to. Values of God clearly outlined as principles of scripture that cross their own views and their own system of values. And so they deconstruct doctrine and reconstruct it to fit their view rather than to allow God's word to shape their values and views. And either they will break away and form little groups who murmur and complain and try to sow discord among the believers, the true believers, or worse yet, they find a leader among them who reinforces their unscriptural views, shepherds who lead them astray and turn them loose on the hills and mountains to wonder where they forget where the fold is. They forget their resting place and have no resting place and have no fold. There's little hope. There's little hope for people like that, in, in my view. Little hope. It's not that they didn't have the energy. It's that they refused to submit to the truth. They would not submit to the truth. They would not submit to the Bible. Wouldn't submit to true spiritual authority in their life. And they turned themselves into something else. There is something in the Bible, the anointing of God, of course, 
But there's something in the Bible that I call anointing strange and true. Anointing strange and true. What am I mean? There is a true anointing of God that's literally the correct anointing that gives us God-given authority to speak his word and to get results. But there is a strange anointing as well. It is no less an anointing. It looks like God. It sounds like God. And at times it feels like God. But it is a different kind of anointing. It is the kind of anointing that gets on those people who knew the truth and because they didn't love it, turned their back on it and walked away from it. It's the kind of anointing that God says you knew what was right, but you refused it. You wouldn't listen to it. You wouldn't obey it. So now I'm going to turn you over to a delusion, to believe a lie that you might be damned in perdition. I am deliberately going to help you reinforce your views and your values that are going to lead you away from God. It's the kind of anointing that falls on a preacher once he has been exposed to the truth of the oneness and Jesus' name baptism and the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. And he says, I do not care what the Bible says. I don't believe that and I'm not going to preach and teach that. I'm going to do something else with my life. It's that kind of an anointing that gives him success in confusing people and they are lost. It's the kind of anointing that gets a hold of an apostate heart and they don't quit the ministry and they don't give up, you know, churches and they don't give up leadership, but they twist the word. They twist the word and they do things that lead people into sin, keep them into sin because it's their own way in sin. I want to look at our text again. Then the people of Israel and Judah will join together, says the Lord, weeping and seeking the Lord their God, and they will ask the way to Jerusalem and will start back home again, and they will bind themselves to the Lord with an eternal covenant that shall never again be broken. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and turned them loose in the mountains. They have lost their way and cannot remember how to get back to the fold. All who found them devoured them. Their enemies said, We are allowed to attack them freely. For they have sinned against the Lord, their place of rest, and the hope of their ancestors. But now flee from Babylon. Leave the land of the Babylonians and lead my people home again. Verses 17 through 20, the Israelites are like sheep that have been scattered by lions. First the king of Assyria ate them up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon cracked their bones. Therefore the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says now, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, and just as I punished the king of Assyria, and I will bring Israel home again to her own land to feed in the fields of, of Carmel and Bashan, and to be satisfied once more in the hill country of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days, says the Lord, no sin, sin will be found in Israel or Judah, for I will forgive the remnant that I preserve. Throughout this chapter, I can see certain prophetic fulfillment in recent years. For instance, in Operation Desert Storm. Yeah, if, you're, if you read it again in the modern version, For look, I am raising up an army of great nations from the north and will bring them against Babylon to attack her. She shall be captured. The enemy's arrows will go straight to the mark. They will not miss. Babylonia will be plundered until the attackers are glutted with plunder, says the Lord. And... Operation Desert Storm in our recent time certainly could be a fulfillment of that scripture with our cruise missiles that went straight to the mark and with the destruction of Babylon, the, uh, Iraq being the seat of ancient Babylonia, with the destruction of that. But more to the point is my spiritual application in meaning here tonight, and that is that God is bringing two groups of people together for a purpose. God wants to bring two groups together for a purpose. Now you know that Israel and Judah were two kingdoms, right? right? Two kingdoms. Once they separated in the Bible, they never reunited. But still, God is telling us, still, though two kingdoms, yet one people. They were two kingdoms, yet they were one people. And so, Israel, in my application tonight, is the backslidden kingdom. Once they fell away, they stayed lost. Israel never had a godly king on their throne. 
They fell away immediately and stayed lost through 19 dynasties. Judah was the one kingdom, the one left with the temple. And though it was often backslidden, it remained the last hope of the race. So, for our purposes tonight, Israel is the church of God who have drifted away, who have wandered off into sin. Not the apostate branch, who are never going to change, who are never going to come back, who are, who are never going to get straightened out again. There's so little hope of one of our churches who fall into apostasy of ever returning and coming back to the holiness message and to the true message of God. There, I've never, in all my years, I've never seen them come back to where they had left off. But I have seen some of their leaders at our conference. I have seen men who were once great among us and who graced many pulpits and conferences and camp meetings and preached to us even when I was a teenager and brought us to the altar in repentance who allowed their church to drift away into compromise and years later come to our conferences and sit there with their elbows on their knees and their hands and their chins and their hands leaning forward on every word with hunger coming out of them, hunger coming out of them, and confessing and telling a few of their friends, I missed it. I wished I'd have never done that. I wished I'd have never let my church go that way. But it's too late now. I cannot bring them back. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not talking about apostates. I'm talking about wanderers and drifters who in their heart, amen, are miserable. Amen. And they're lost. Hallelujah. But there's another group, and that's us. That's Judah. That's the one hope that they have left. And we may not be the best thing going. And we may not always get it right. And we may have our ups and downs and our struggles. Amen. And we go through our faults and failures. But we're the one hope they have left. Hallelujah. I often wonder, and I have said on a few occasions to those who have backslidden and come back to us. Where would you be if I did as you had done? Where would you be if Sister Faye and I threw in the towel and left? Where would the church be if we'd have quit in adversity, in difficulty, in struggle, when we were under fire, when we were being hated on and criticized and being put down and we felt lower than the belly of a pregnant aunt in a, in a wagon rut? Hallelujah. Where would we have been? If we'd have given it all up back then, where would you have been? You'd have had no place to come to. But oh, thank God, there's a Judah out there still. Amen. And it's got a temple. And it's got a Jerusalem. Hallelujah. It's got a city of David. It's got a sheep fold. And there's a few sheep left in it. Amen. That's got a true shepherd. Let's lead them in the right way. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. Those shepherds were and are the apostate, compromising preachers who encourage carnality and promote license because it is in their own self-interest and sinful lifestyle to do so. Such will never lead people to God, but always away from the Lord. They have turned loose the sheep to wander the hills and to forget where the sheepfold is and to forget what true spiritual leadership was. That's who they are. And that's what they are. Furthermore, I want to tell you something else. And here's the sad reality. You ladies know, amen, that your long hair is on your head, amen, as a sign to the angels so the power of God can be on your life. And what is the first thing that an apostolic woman does when they backslide? They cut their hair. It's the very first thing they do is get the scissors out and cut their hair. And when they do, they shear that contract away. And the angel steps aside. And the enemy, the Assyrians and the Babylonians that are out there, fall on the sheep and devour them and eat them and consume them and wear them away and say, we have a right to do it because they've sinned against God. They've sinned against their church. They've sinned against the hope of their forefathers. They've sinned against everything that is holy. And those evil spirits are out there waiting for the backslider to go that way, to do that thing, amen, that now opens the door for the ravages of hell. Let me tell you, child of God, 
who is being tempted and tested to lead the Lord. You think the devil is hard on you now. You think you're having a hard time living for God now. And he's telling you, if you just get out of the church, things will get better. You won't have me to worry about. You don't know what the truth is. Amen. As soon as you step away from God, the devil says, it's open season on them. I have a right to get them because they've sinned against God. They've sinned against God. Oh, let's stand together. I've got to close. Hallelujah. 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 But what I'm telling you tonight is that God is saying that He will rejoin these two groups. He will rejoin these two groups. And together, hand in hand, Judah and Israel are going to join hands against all the impossibilities of that rebellion that separated that family of God. Of those issues that got between brother and brother and sister and sister. And king and countrymen. Those things that cause people to drift away from one another and say, I can't be a part of you anymore. I've got to go and do my own thing. God is saying, I will cause them to join hands. And they will seek the Lord. And they will ask, does anyone know the way to Jerusalem? Does anyone know the way back to Zion? Does anybody know where the church is? Can anybody show me where there's a true church left with a real preacher, a real pastor, and a real leader, and real sheep of God who believe the Lord and who obey the truth? Can anybody show me? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There was a certain parishioner who had been attending services faithfully and regularly for a number of years, but then he began to stop. He stopped coming to church, and after some weeks of being out of church, the minister decided to finally visit the absent member. He was a chilly evening, and the minister found the man at home alone, and he was sitting there in front of a fireplace with a blazing fire. And uh, guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed him in and led him to a big chair by the fireplace, sat down and waited. The minister made himself comfortable, but he didn't say anything. Some time went by. Neither one of them said anything to the other. The silence uh, was pregnant with uh, weight and atmosphere and gravitas. And as they sat there in grave silence and contemplated the play of flames around the burning logs, finally, after some time, the minister reached forward and grabbed the tongs from the fireplace and reached in and he took out one ember uh, from the fire and he moved it off to the far corner of the fireplace and replaced the tongs. And for some time, the ember glowed and it burned. But in a very short time, the ember began to lose its glow. And indirectly, after a while, it flamed out, flickered out, and its fire was gone, and it died. The pastor had never said a word. An hour had gone by, and this display had gone forward. And finally, as the pastor rose to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit tonight, pastor, and especially for your fiery sermon. I will be in church next Sunday. He took the point. The point is, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And even so much the more so as you see that day approaching. Listen, if Satan can get you to miss three consecutive weeks in a row, he's almost got you in the habit of staying away from church. And usually, always, it is in the case of these things when I see people leaving God, leaving the church. This is usually always how it happens. First, they just miss a service for no good reason. Well, I just think I'll stay home. It's a Wednesday night after all. i got to get up the next day and go to work. i got to get my kids up for school. we got to rise early. And so uh, I'm, I'm just going to stay home. Uh, other people do it. Uh, it's not really required. Since other people get away with it, I'll get away with it too. And that's where bad habits form. Boy, y'all got fight on you. And then Sunday morning rolls around and it's time to get out of bed. You work too hard all week, six days, and you 
tired, you just like to sleep in, and you do, you roll over. First you accidentally sleep in, and then after a while you deliberately accidentally sleep in. Let me tell you something. If you are in submission to spiritual authority, then you are accountable for your absence. Do I ever go away and not tell somebody where I'm going and what I'm doing? What would you think of me and Sister Lafave if we just didn't show up any Sunday night or any Wednesday night and we didn't tell anybody where we were or what we were doing? What would you think of us? What if you came to church and I wasn't here and I never told anybody I wasn't going to be here? How, how would it be? Would, would there be a one of you that, that would have something kind to say about me and Sister Lafave? Would there be a one of you that wouldn't utter a criticism or at least a question? How many of you would be on the phone as soon as you could get the one calling me to see what happened to us? I definitely would be. Some of you might worry about the rapture, but as you looked around and you saw most of the church there, you probably wouldn't really think that we'd gone in the rapture. You know, why do I owe it to you to be here, and you don't owe it to me to be here? After all, I'm the one that's doing all the work. You just get to come and get the benefit. How I would love to trade places with you guys. You just come here and enjoy it. For you, you get to go to church. For me, I am church. And if you truly believe the Bible and spiritual authority and accountability, if you're not here in church, you're calling me before you're not here to tell me why you're not here. You're letting me know why you're not here. And if you're not letting me know why you're not here, you're letting me think and imagine the worst about you. Are they sick? Are they in the hospital? Are they dying? Are they... Are they at the club? Are they sitting in a bar stool somewhere? Are they out dancing? What's going on? Why aren't they in church? Where are they? Where are the sheep? You see, the shepherds always got to wonder where the sheep are when they're not where they're supposed to be. And if you want to go to heaven, and if you want to be saved, you want to stay close enough to the shepherd. That he always knows where you are, and he's as secure about you as you are in him. It's a two-way street. So why isn't my phone ringing more often when people are not in church? Well, some of you have to work. I understand that. But you could at least pick the phone and tell me, Pastor, I can't be in church tonight. I'm working. And you can do it every time it happens. Every time it happens. Why? Because you want me to know what you're doing, not to guess at what you're doing. Is that good? Is that right on? Hallelujah. Don't be the ember that got separated from the law. Because what's going to happen to you is inevitable. Your flame, your fire will burn out. You will lose your momentum. You will lose your direction. And it's not long, and it's just a little bit of a twist of confusion and misunderstanding and miscalculation and, and, and missed signals that the devil gets in your mind to make you think, well, they won't want me back after I've been out this long. The pastor wouldn't want me back. The church wouldn't want me back. And you just keep on going down that road. You'd be, you'd be lost knowing you're lost, knowing where to be saved, knowing what you need to do to get back to God. I know I have to close. I'm way over time. But here's what I believe, and I'm speaking in faith. I'm speaking in faith. I believe that God is going to bring back the wanderer and the drifter and the hurt and the broken and the confused and the disillusioned of his lost and backslidden sheep. I believe one of the works and jobs God has to do in these last days 
is to find those that are Israel and and bring them back to Judah and reconnect them to Judah. Judah and Israel have got to join hands together again and say, can anybody show us the way home? Oh, let's pray right now. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Church, come on. Let's pray. I think it would be good if we just stand around the front here and let's pray for the backsliders. Let's pray for the lost. Let's pray for the wandering. Hallelujah. Amen. They're liable to pop up when you least expect them. Just when you thought you'd given up hope on them, they could pop up and show up in the service. Hallelujah. Because God wants to bring Israel and Judah back together again. They're our family. They're our people. We're not two houses. They're part of us. They're part of His people. Hallelujah. And we need to believe God for them tonight. Hallelujah. How about, how about it tonight? Would you believe God for the lost? Let's pray for the lost. Let's pray for the backslider. God, bring them home. God, bring them home. Bring them home. You know where they are tonight. You know what has happened, Lord. You know the whispers and the lies Satan has placed in their heart and mind. You know the confusion of hell Satan has brought upon them. We're praying tonight for them. We've got lost family members. Backslidden children, wayward husbands and wives, relatives that need to be saved, Lord. God, you know where they are tonight, and I pray. God, for Israel, I pray for Israel. And I stand on this scripture as a promise from God that you want to reconnect with your lost sheep, the lost ones of Israel. You have not given up on Israel, though they have given up on you. You never gave up on them. You never stopped sending them prophets. You never stopped giving them warnings. You continuously warned them and preached to them and called them. And you want to bring them back to Judah and join hands with Judah. Help us to find the lost ones. To believe for the lost ones, Lord, tonight. To believe for the lost sheep. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.